0: This morning, we are going to be looking at two primary scriptures, both from the same book. We're going to be in the book of 2 Timothy this morning, and I titled this message today For Women Who Shaped My Faith, because there very much are four very specific women who have had a huge impact on my day-to-day walk with Christ. And In a few moments, I'll, I'll make mention of them, but you'll see why I'm bringing that up as we look at the portions of Scripture that we're going to look at today. And we're going to start by uh, looking at 2 Timothy chapter 1. And I'm just going to read verses 5 through 7 there. And then we're going to jump over to 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting with verse 14. But for starters, let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. This is what it says. In verse 5, it says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And then jump with me to Second Timothy chapter 3, starting with verse 14. That passage says this. that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege that it is to be able to come together today and to worship you. We're grateful, Lord, for the privilege to be able to look at your word as we do so. And as we look at this portion of Scripture from 2 Timothy, and we see the things that the Apostle Paul conveyed to Timothy, and the things that he was describing about Timothy's life and his background. We pray, Lord, that we would see parallels to present day. We pray that we would get ideas that impact the way we we pass on our faith to others. And Lord, we're grateful for those that you have placed in our lives who bring glory to your name and who eagerly desire to teach us more about you as they open up your word to us and help us understand it. Lord, we thank you for this time, and we thank you for the privilege to be able to look at your word together. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So when it comes to our spiritual development, when it comes to our understanding of the gospel, I think it's fair to say we don't end up in a healthy place by accident. That's not an accident if you end up in a healthy place spiritually, because there are circumstances and there are experiences that the Lord purposely sends our way, with the goal to shape us. And there's information that he places before our eyes and before our ears that's meant to inform us. And then there are also people that he places in your life and in my life who are there on purpose because it's God's desire that they have an influence over us. And I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge four of those people who have directly impacted my life and have helped me to understand who Jesus Christ truly is. My mother. Both of my grandmothers and my great-aunt were four of the major influences in my life when I was a child, and the interesting thing about each of them is that all four of them had very drastically different personalities, drastically different personalities, and their spiritual gifts seemed to differ as well. So when you looked at the way that they were shaped by personality, when you, when you see that, you know, the ways in which God gifted them, very different from each other, but one commonality that they all shared was a love for me and my sisters and a deep desire that we thrive spiritually and socially and relationally. And when you look at what God's Word shares with us, God's Word paints a very beautiful picture uh, of the influence that a mother and a grandmother can have on a young life. And when you're looking at the book of 2 Timothy, which I just read from, and we'll reread those sections in just a few moments, You have the Apostle Paul here acknowledging the ways that Timothy's grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice directly impacted his faith. Well, how did they impact him? And what was Timothy doing at the time that the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to him? Well, Timothy was mentored in ministry by the Apostle Paul. Paul took Timothy under his wing. He showed him the ropes. He would encourage him. I get the impression that Timothy wrestled with being timid from time to time. And so the Apostle Paul would give him encouragement, letting him know, hey, you know, use the gifts that God has given you. Set an example for other people. Let people see uh, the person that you have been shaped to be. And so you have the Apostle Paul really pouring into Timothy and trying to mentor Timothy in a variety of ways. And at the time that uh, this letter was written, this, by the way, was the last letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. He wrote this not long before he was actually executed for his faith. And this is his last letter. And in this letter, he directs it to Timothy. And he's trying to encourage Timothy to understand a variety of things about life and ministry and what it looks like to serve the Lord in the midst of a difficult season. And Timothy, at the time that he was receiving this letter, was a pastor in the city of Ephesus. But before Timothy experienced Paul's mentoring, and before Timothy served in pastoral ministry, his mother and his grandmother were the people who were actively involved in shaping his faith. Now, again, look at what it says to us in chapter 1 of Second Timothy. When you look at verses 5 through 7, there Paul says this to Timothy. He's trying to encourage him. He's trying to mentor him even through this letter. He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So these are things that the Apostle Paul is trying to help Timothy to understand. He wants him to grow in his walk in the Lord. He wants him to to understand that, that the Lord's blessed him with divine power, that the Lord has demonstrated perfect love, that the Lord has given Timothy the ability to exhibit self-control in the midst of a culture that doesn't necessarily value those things. And when you look at the background that Timothy experienced, the things that helped lead him to the spot that he was at at this present time, you see that it was, it was his grandmother and his mother that had a direct influence on how he got there. Timothy's mother and his grandmother, they modeled for him what it meant to believe in Jesus even in the midst of a hostile culture. Now, if you're a parent, I hope you'll hear me as I say this because this is something that I think, uh, Christian parents during this era in particular should be mindful of. But one of the challenges that every Christian family experiences in this world, in this era in which we live in, it's a struggle that you, um, experience as a family when you choose to live counterculturally. You know, if we're living out our faith in Jesus Christ, we're doing things and making decisions and living in a way that doesn't exactly fit with what this culture prefers. So it's a struggle when you try to live out your faith in a way that's countercultural. There will be people who question the decisions that you make as, as a parent. There will be people who question the priorities that your family chooses to invest in. And your children will at times feel like they stand out as a little bit different among their peers. And these are some things that you're going to have to navigate in your household if you choose to make Christ the center of your priorities, the center of your household, the focus of what you're doing, even as you're you're raising your children. And that can be a challenging thing to experience. That's not something that can be very easy. It's particularly difficult, I think, for the children in the midst of so much outside influence from their peers and from cultural pressures when they realize their family sees things very differently. Their family prioritizes things that this world doesn't understand or prioritize, but it's also helpful when those things are going on and when you're experiencing that as a as a parent. It's helpful when you realize that, and when you don't feel like you're doing that alone. Right? When you feel like there are other brothers and sisters in Christ that are experiencing that same thing, and so I would just make a general uh, encouragement to us as believers that if you see other parents, particularly in our church family that seem like they're, they're struggling with different things like that, uh, come alongside them, encourage them, remind them that they are not the only people that are trying to live counterculturally in a world that doesn't exactly recognize that. And when you look at what was going on in the era in which Lois and Eunice were trying to encourage Timothy in his walk with Christ, that was very much the case for them as well. They were trying to model what it meant to follow Jesus Christ in the midst of a culture that did not value that. So we are not the first generation to experience these things. Lois and Eunice and their generation experienced it as well. Something else that you could see from Scripture is that Timothy's mother and grandmother they also demonstrated a spirit empowered love toward Timothy. This was something they were very active in doing, and by the way, that's a deeper form of love than mere affection, right They cared not just about Timothy's physical well-being, but the well-being of his soul. They cared about where he was with the Lord. And as recipients of the love of Jesus, they wanted to demonstrate that love to Timothy. And I actually get the impression that they were very, very intentional about doing so. This wasn't something they were casual about. They were intentional to show the love of God to Timothy as they demonstrated that in their day-to-day life. And so as the Spirit of God empowered them to do so, they graced Timothy with their love throughout their throughout his formative years. And I love what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, when you look at verse 14. We read this a moment ago, but I want to reread it because he says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. So you have Paul saying this to Timothy. He's saying, Timothy, continue in what you've learned. Well, where did he learn it? Continue in what you have firmly believed. And he says, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Isn't that that an interesting thing to think about? You know, it wasn't just at a later season. It's also from childhood, you know, from his infancy, from from his earliest years, he was made acquainted with God's word. And Paul says, the, the sacred writings, the Word of God, which is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, Timothy's mother and his grandmother were very intentional in, in the midst of everything they were modeling for Timothy about what it looked like to, to be followers of Christ. They were intentional to teach him the scriptures. Now, by the, I'll, I'll mention something about this. This is an area that a lot of families get tripped up on. And I want to, I want to share something with you that I hope will make this process a little bit easier for you if it's your heart desire that your children understand the scriptures. So I don't know how deeply you feel your personal knowledge of the Bible goes. Maybe you feel well acquainted with the scriptures and maybe you were taught the scriptures from a young age, or maybe you feel like the scriptures have, are something that at this season of your life, have become more of a priority to you, and so you feel like maybe you're playing catch-up and trying to learn some of the things that, up to this point, you weren't familiar with. But whether you feel advanced in your knowledge of Scripture or not, I am certain that you are capable to teach your children or your grandchildren what you already know. Because here's the thing, you and I are not going to exhaust the knowledge of Scripture, right? There's always something new to learn. I study the Scripture all the time. I've been, I've been putting uh, sermons together for 25-plus years, and I spend a large portion of my week immersed in the teaching of Scripture. And you know what I discover? New things all the time. And I'm like, I've read this passage how many times? And I'll come across something that never caught my eye before. So you're not going to run out of new things to learn in Scripture. Our time on earth is too brief for us to master every last detail of Scripture. So here's what we do. Teach what you know. Start with what you know, and then keep adding more to your knowledge, but start with what you know. And even if you don't feel like a theological expert, I have good news for you. You don't have to be. You don't have to be a theological expert to do this, because here's the thing. Even if you feel like, all right, I don't know that I could directly teach my children because maybe I'm still learning the Scripture myself. Perfect. No sweat. I have a suggestion for you. Just open up a Bible and just read it out loud with your children. In this era, did any of you read digital books, e-books, stuff like that? Some of us do. Who dislikes reading e-books? All right, half the congregation. I go back and forth. There are certain, there are certain books I, I don't mind if it's, like on a, if it's digital, and certain books that I, I prefer them to be paper. I read the scriptures digitally all the time, but here's the thing. Next to my primary chair in our family room, I have two printed copies of the Bible in different translations because it dawned on me. I thought, you know what, if I'm I'm sitting there reading from my computer or reading from my iPad or reading from my phone, I don't know that my children are going to automatically assume that I'm reading scripture. They're probably just going to think I'm scrolling social media or posting really, really funny stuff, Right. Just Even if you don't think what I post is funny, thank you for those of you that, that uh, play along. But there, I, it dawned on me some years ago, I was like, you know what? One place in my life that I want a paper Bible nearby is that chair. And when I'm reading the Bible from that chair, and I'm in a visible spot where my children are going to be observing me, I want there to be no mistaking the fact that I'm, that I'm reading the Bible. And here's something I've noticed. I've caught my children doing that very same thing. I noticed one of my sons, there's a chair he's claimed in our family room as well. And you know what's next to his chair? His Bible. And earlier this week, as we, I was sitting there reading mine, I look over, he's there reading his first thing in the morning. Neither of us is saying anything. We're just sipping coffee, reading the Bible. And I was like, this is exactly what I wanted to see. This is exactly what I wanted to see. And here's the, here's the other piece. You don't have to go on long diatribes of what, what is in Scripture if you're trying to teach the Scriptures to your children. Just read out loud. Just read it out loud. Children love to be read to. Your grandchildren will love to be read to. Just read it out loud. That's it. And if you come across something that you don't understand and they ask you about it, just say, yeah, I have no idea. I have no idea what that means. I'll find out, though. That'll be our homework together. I'll find out. I come across stuff in the Bible all the time that I'm like, I'm supposed to know what all this means, right? Like, uh, other, you know, can I admit that and still have job security? Like that. There, sometimes I come across something in Scripture. And I'm like, I have no idea what that means. I have no idea. There are going to be plenty of things. I, by the way, if we were able to wrap our mind around everything in the Scriptures, wouldn't that kind of cause you to question who the divine author of all of it is? There are certain things that the Lord said. I've purposely just given you a glimpse of it. You'll understand it someday in my presence. But right now, you just get hints. Take your best guess. But here's the thing. Just read it out loud. Because I believe the Spirit of God will make up for our deficiencies. I believe the Spirit of God will put things in the hearts and in the minds of your children that are going to be a blessing to them, that are going to help them at different seasons of life. You know, things like, you know, when, when the Scripture says, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Scriptures are going to help equip your children to understand right from wrong and to do the things that the Lord has called them to do. It's one of the means that the Lord has given to us to pass along the faith to our children. And so what did Lois and Eunice do? They took time for that with Timothy. They explained the Scriptures to him. They read the Scriptures to him to the best of their ability they poured what they knew of the word of god into Timothy's life even from his earliest years they didn't wait till he was you know a, a, an adult to do this it says from from the idea you know it says knowing from whom you heard it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings from childhood from an early age from his earliest years and you have Lois and Eunice pouring this into Timothy's life you also see that Timothy's mother and grandmother, they're the ones who explained to him how to obtain salvation through faith in Jesus. You know, as they shared the, the word of God with him, and then they backed up their lives with, with uh, you know, just behavior that demonstrated they had a sincere faith of their own. Timothy was made wise to the plan of salvation. He was graced with the understanding that Jesus, the Son of God, offers the gift of forgiveness of sin and new life to anyone who will trust in him. Timothy understood that because his grandmother and his mother made sure to teach him. Timothy's ears first heard that message of the gospel proclaimed by those two ladies, Lois and Eunice. Now, when I look around our church, there's a variety of things that I'm grateful for. And I've got to tell you, every time I visit other churches and have the opportunity to, to speak or do different things, um, it makes me like doubly grateful for our church. There's a variety of things, and I promise you I say these things when it's just me and my wife alone, how grateful I am for our church family. I truly, truly mean that. There's something special about our church family that I've I've noticed for years. I truly appreciate it. I truly enjoy it. And one of the things that I'm actually grateful for about how the Lord has chosen to just kind of fashion our church is that our church has a very balanced group of men and women who are invested in the spiritual lives of the children of our church family. Wouldn't you say? It's very balanced. You know, I look at it, I'm like, I'm grateful it's very balanced. But I'll tell you what, as I frequently visit churches throughout the country or speak to train their leaders, I do that with the National Mission Board as I serve with the NMB. Uh, and that, that brings me all different places in our country to all different kinds of churches. Uh, I'll tell you what I often see in many, if not, it's probably fair to say in most of the churches that I visit. And I doubt you'll be surprised by what I'm about to say. But the backbone of many, if not most local churches here in the United States, the backbone of those churches, the backbone is the Loises and the Eunice's, who have taken it upon themselves to invest in the spiritual lives of the children. That's the backbone. Like when you think about what's church like throughout the country? Well, it's not, it's not actually like what I see here. Here I see some balance. In most cases, it's actually not like this. You know, I've been in some churches where there'll be like a guy, like one guy, and 37 mothers and grandmothers. And the guy is typically the pastor. And that's a a very, very common thing. It's typically the Loises and the Eunices in our day and age who have taken it upon themselves to be the backbone of the local church and invest in the spiritual lives of children. And I have to say, the investment that you make in a child is not something that you always get to see bear immediate fruit. Those of you that have been parenting for a while can probably testify to that. Those of you that... Uh, are at the season of life where you have grandchildren, so you've seen one generation go from infancy to adulthood, and now you're seeing another generation. You have a very unique perspective because you've seen what it's like to raise someone all the way to and through adulthood. I was speaking to a man just the other day who told me that even though he was raised right, he was raised in a context where faith in Christ was modeled, he said he was an absolute terror for the first 25 years of his life said it was an absolute terror for the first 25 years of his life. He said he made every bad decision that a man could make, and he, could, and he, he said he mortified his family with the direction that he was actually taking his life in for a period of, uh, of time. But now the spiritual investments that they made in him are paying off. And for the past few decades, he's in his 50s now. For the past few decades, he's been walking with the Lord, and he's fully dedicated to helping other people know Jesus Christ as well. Now, he said it took a while for him to get there. So those investments that were made in him at a young age, I'm sure that there were family members that looked at that and said, are these investments going to bear fruit? And I mentioned that just as a word of encouragement to you, because right now some of you are investing in uh, in young people, and you're thinking, are these investments going to bear fruit? I bet you it does. I think they will. That's a it's a pattern you typically see. You know, at different seasons of life, people, it's like the light goes on, at different seasons. Now, he, when he looks back over his life, he would say, I wish the light went on sooner. But I'll tell you what, he hasn't wasted the past few decades. And he's been sharing the gospel with others and modeling what it looks like. And the Lord's blessed him and his wife with a whole bunch of kids. And, and they're uh, growing in their walk with the Lord. But those investments that you make, they're not going to be wasted. It's not going to be wasted. It's going to bear fruit at some point. You just might have to wait a little while before you see it. And you look at the investment here that Lois and Eunice made in Timothy. Would you say that the investment that they made in that man eventually paid off? Sure it did. It paid off, right? Timothy dedicated his life to helping other people know Jesus Christ in the midst of a hostile culture and a hostile generation. You have Timothy partnering with Paul, sharing the gospel, planting churches, wonderful things taking place as the Lord worked through them. And through his faith in Jesus Christ and the gifting of the Holy Spirit, you have Timothy demonstrating the fact that he was indeed equipped for every good work that God the Father had ordained for him to complete during his brief life on this planet. He was very active in doing these things. And by the way, here we are centuries later mentioning his name. So again, the investment that was made in his life certainly bore fruit. And I'm certain that Lois and Eunice could tell us plenty of stories from Timothy's youth where it may not have seemed that that the outcome of his life would have been as, as great as it ended up being, but by the grace of God, their investment in him and in his walk with Christ, it paid off handsomely, and it continues to have an impact on people many generations afterward. And As I was preparing for this morning and thinking about Lois and Eunice and the ways in which they, they were a blessing to Timothy, I was thinking about what I think probably most of us, have been thinking about today and even possibly during the course of this week leading up today, thinking about those who have invested in us, the mothers, the grandmothers, the aunts, the sisters, different people that the Lord has placed in our lives. And again, personally speaking, I'd like to just, and all these people I'm mentioning are all with the Lord now, but I'd personally love to just give my mother and my grandmothers and my great aunt, a return on the investment that they made in my life. When I think about that, I think, I I want them to have a return on the investment of prayer and a return on investment of what they modeled. My mother passed away five years ago this month. It was May of 2018 that she passed away. My grandmothers passed away in 2006 and in 2014. My great aunt passed away back in 1995, but I honestly think about them all the time. I don't think there's a single day that goes by that I don't think about them. And when I think back on my mother's life, let me bring a picture here. So, that's my mom. That's back in 1984 when it was styling to wear your socks that high. So, look at that. Can you imagine? Like, the main article of clothing I'm wearing in that picture is socks, I found that earlier this week. I was just trying to find a picture of us with our mom, and I was like, oh my goodness, the socks! Can I Photoshop those out? No, I must own up to that, right? (laughs) But when I think back to my mother's life, when I think back to the influence that she had on me, I remember her as a woman of compassion. Some of you were friends with her personally and can testify to this as well. She was a woman of compassion and selflessness. She cared about my sisters and me. Very, very deeply. She prayed for us continually. I've often told you when I would catch her praying for me, sometimes she'd pray out loud and I'd catch her praying for me. She literally never failed to take us to church. Never failed. It was unacceptable for us to even bring up the idea of skipping church. She never failed to bring us to church. That was a non negotiable for her. She also loved to give gifts all throughout the course of her life and she would frequently, and this actually used to drive me nuts. Now, I wish I was a little bit more calm about it and how I reacted, but she would frequently choose to give someone else a gift over meeting her own needs. She would do that all the time, over and over and over again. I would always see her do that. I, I actually remember on my 12th birthday, we were at Service Merchandise in Dixon City, Pennsylvania, and I remember I, there was this dual cassette boom box that I wanted, and it was kind of pricey. And I remember looking at that, and she's like, do you want to look at maybe some other things? I was like, no, Mom, this is what I want. This is the thing I want. And she's like, all right, you know what, I'm going to buy it for you. And she bought it for me, even though it was way too expensive. And I feel a little guilty about asking for that now, like when I think back on that and what it's like to actually make those financial sacrifices for your children. As a 12-year-old, I had no idea what that really felt like. But I can't help but remember her desire to bless me and bless others with gifts, even though it hurt at times, to give those gifts. She would choose what was to your benefit over her own. And again, woman of prayer, always prayed for us, and never, never let us get away with skipping church. And I wanted to skip church sometimes. I wanted to real bad. I even tried. She would have destroyed me, right? Destroyed me. No. Let me show you someone else. So this is my father's mother, right here, Ruth Stongey affectionately known as Grammy. I'm so grateful that I had the privilege to know her as well. And I've often said that the person from my youth who most clearly exhibited the gift of wisdom toward me was my grandmother. She was also very, very interesting to talk to. And she always pointed me in the right direction. When I was growing up, I would fight for a seat next to her in church. So those of you grandparents I see sitting with your grandkids, I like seeing that. Reminds me of, I always used to fight for a seat next to her. And I had cousins the same age. We had to throw elbows. It got violent sometimes. And uh, I would fight for a seat next to her in church. She would also, and I'm going to highly encourage you to do this, if I hear the rappers crinkling, I will probably clap from the back, and maybe come up to you and ask for one. But she always kept butterscotch candies in her purse. And if I was good during church, she would give me a butterscotch candy. But here's the awkward thing about when you open them up in church. That's a loud candy to open. you got to do it quick. It's like ripping off a Band-Aid. If you take a long time, you're going to drive everybody nuts. I know that as an adult. I didn't know that as a child, right? And, uh, and she would always have those. She, if, you, if you were good, you got a butterscotch. She also is the person who taught me how to sing from a hymnal. I didn't understand if you ever, you know, when you pick up a hymnal, how the, the words go one line here, and one line here, one line here. One line here. I was like, wait, why are we jumping to that next section, Grammy? And she's like, no, 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 this is what you do. You take the first line here, and then you take the first line here. I remember her explaining uh, you know, how that worked. She's also the person that explained to me what communion meant. I didn't understand what communion was. She was the person who explained what communion was to me. Now, in my early teenage years and in my early 20s, I would often go to her for relationship and family advice. If I wanted to know how to interact with other people, again, she was the wisest person I knew, I would ask her. And uh, she's also somebody, she would borrow my music from me and listen to it and liked some of it and pretended to like some of the other stuff. Um, But she would always say, hey, John, listen to the words. Listen to the words. The artist is trying to tell you a story. Listen to the words. And, uh, And choose right, you know, choose right based on what they're saying. And, uh, but I'd go to her for family and relationship advice. I have to tell you, when I first started dating Andrea, um, and she hadn't yet met my grandparents or my extended family, and, I w- and we started even talking about marriage kind of at an early season of dating, I would frequently tell her, you know what? If the Lord blesses us with the privilege to get married, I hope it's a marriage just like my grandparents. That's John Stonge Jr., affectionately known as Jack, a.k.a. Grandpa. And Grammy there. And so this is what I would do. I would say to her, I was like, you know, I don't know. um, I know that someday I'm going to wish that we had pictures together with them. So I have so many pictures of the two of us with them. Anytime we were together with them, I'd be like, hey, let's get a picture with them because they were the model of marriage that I was trying to copy. And I looked at this as I was scanning it so I could share it with us today. I looked at this and I'm like, I'm noticing my grandmother's hand like grabbing my hand there and uh, her head on my shoulder. And I'm like, she, like, we were tight. We were tight. And uh, I still remember like the last hug she gave me before she passed away. Like she, I mean, talk about people that, you know, when you get to that spot and you think, boy, I can't wait to see these people again. High on that list. But not only was I blessed with a, a lovely mom, Lovely grandmother on my father's side. And my grandmother from my mother's side as well. That's Ruby, a.k.a. Nana. That's me with my younger sister, Tammy. And I I scanned this picture because look at how she's just looking at us. Can't you see like the affection of a grandmother in that picture? She's looking at us like, I don't even know what dumb thing I'm doing there. If I'm pretending to be on the phone or not. I think I have normal length socks on in this picture, though. But I'm wearing jeans, so you'll never know. Um, But she's just looking, whatever silly thing we're doing, she's interested in. And when I think back on the life of my mother's mother, I think of a woman who never wanted to be in front of a crowd. By the way, she might even be mortified from heaven that I'm sharing this picture in front of a group of people. Right? Never, never, never wanted to be in front of a crowd. But she loved to bless the lives of others in deep and meaningful ways, but she was one of those personalities that highly preferred to be behind the scenes. When my parents divorced when I was eight years old, as you can imagine, that was a very challenging season for our family, and because we weren't living in a two-parent household any longer at that season, my grandparents stepped in, and a large percentage, a, a huge percentage of my time, Growing up as a child was spent at their home, even though they lived an hour away from us. And my grandmother would do things like she would buy us all our favorite foods. She bought us bedroom furniture for when we stayed there. So she changed what the upstairs bedrooms of her house looked like so that we could stay there. And, and by the way, the bedroom furniture that she bought uh, is bedroom furniture that I still own. And it's the furniture that has furnished my son's bedroom uh, their whole life. Um, but most importantly, what she did, she and my grandfather collectively, they gave us a stable and a calm home during a season of life in our childhood when our, our home life was very chaotic, very stressful. And so we would spend a lot of time with them. And in a very unexpected but super fun development, I had the privilege to serve as her pastor for eight years. In my early 20s, I became the pastor of a church that was five minutes from her house. And uh, so, of course, she became a member. You know, she, she's like, well, I'm going to my grandson's church. I hope everybody understands. And she just had one rule for me. This was her rule. She, says, she said, I, I was not allowed to call on her when I taught the adult Sunday school class because she didn't like speaking in front of groups. And she, said, she made it very clear to me. She's like, never call on me. Never, ever, ever call on me. I was like, Nana, I won't do that to you. Will I? Will I? Pay attention. I might. That doesn't mean you can't pay attention. Um, But no, it was so fun. Like, what what a unique thing to go from, you know, grandson to, like, I actually had the chance to be my grandmother's pastor for eight years. And then I had a bonus. And again, she'd be mortified that I'm posting this as well or or sharing this with you. Um, This is my Aunt Madge. This is Nana's older sister. And she was our great aunt, and she was like a bonus grandmother to me. So, like, I, I didn't even think about it growing up, but I'm like, we have this bonus grandmother. And uh, she was best friends with my grandmother. And my aunt, Mad, my aunt Madge got married later in life and didn't have children of her own. And so, what she would do was she would treat my grandmother's children and grandchildren like they were hers. And whatever we needed, Almost any like really cool thing I had growing up, like my first pair of like super nice sneakers. I remember these Nikes that she bought me when I was 10 years old. And I was like, oh, I've got like the nicest sneakers in class. I was living in government housing, but I had like these brand new Nikes. It was like very ironic. Um, But, you know, like she would buy us anything we needed, clothing, toys. You know, you, you wanted a watch, she'd buy you the watch. She also bought me some of my favorite albums as a teenager, and I would try and make her sit down and listen to the music with me sometimes. She'd scratch her, and she's like, my money paid for that? I'm like, it really did, Aunt Madge, and I love this album. And uh, she bought me my first Striper album. Kid you not, you hear me talk about that band a lot. Aunt Madge, thumbs up. She was also very highly invested in our learning. And I'll tell you what, I attribute most of my interest in books and world history to Aunt Match because she was always buying me something new to read. I would read the books that she had, and I'd be I like, devour them. And she'd be like, did you like that? I was like, this is amazing. Like, I didn't know all this. She's like, well, okay. And then she'd buy me more books, and then I'd read through all of that. And she's like, do you want more? I was like, yeah. And then she'd buy me magazine subscriptions to different things. She's like, whatever I wanted to read, she'd always always make sure that I had it. And here's another thing that she really did. And maybe you have a personality like hers. She was like a guard dog in our family. She was like the conscience of our family. And she never, ever, ever hesitated to speak up if she ever felt like my life or my sister's lives were going in a direction that was unhealthy or unwell. She would pounce on us, like pounce, like that's unacceptable. And she would make sure that we heard it. Anytime our lives were going in a direction that didn't honor the Lord, we heard it from Aunt Madge. And interesting, and this is like, this is strange to me, and I, I'm, I would love to know how this all works out, because I've seen stuff like this in other contexts, but the night that my mother was passing away, so last time I talked to my mother was on FaceTime, I didn't make it uh, to her, her bed as she was passing away, it took a couple hours to get there, and by the time she passed, I, I you know, I, I didn't get there in time to, to be there in that moment, so I was talking to her on FaceTime um, in her last moments. And you know who she kept calling out to? Like in one moment she was talking to me, and then in the next moment she was talking to my Aunt Madge. And she was convinced that she could see her. And, uh, I, you know, I, I was just like, what, like why, Mom, why do you keep calling out for Aunt Madge? And she kept talking to it. Like, it was just very interesting. And then she passed away. Now here's the thing. As a child, I had no concept. Of how blessed I was to have these four women in my life. There's no way as a child you can understand that. This is just what you're given. And I had no idea. And I don't think any one of those women would have ever thought that they were as special as I know them to be. I don't think they thought that way of themselves. But I've got to tell you, when I think about like the superheroes of my life. The people that I just like deeply, deeply love and admire. These four women are at the top of the list. I loved them deeply. I knew that they loved me. Again, it wasn't until I was much older before I was able to fully and truly appreciate the care and the influence and the wisdom and the protection and the guidance that they provided. But I appreciate it now. I think a lot about it now. I think sometimes you think about it when it's your turn to give it. And I, and I think about the sacrifices that they made and the investments that they made in my life and the lives of my sisters. And here's the thing. When you look back at the earliest chapters in Scripture, it's very clear that women are one of God's greatest blessings on His creation. In Genesis 1.25, before woman was created, God looked at His creation and He said what? He said, this is good. This is good. And then you fast forward a few verses to Genesis 131, after woman was created. So before woman was created, God looked at creation and said, it's good. After woman was created, God looks at his creation and he says what? Now it's very good. Now it's very good. Genesis 131, what does he say? God saw everything he had made and behold, it was very good. I am convinced that this world would be a very dull and much harsher place without the influence of godly women. I think women have a way of making everything just a little bit better. Right? They make things look better. They make things smell better. They make things taste better. They make things feel better. They nurture. They counsel. They comfort in a manner that I think reflects the heart and the compassion of the Holy Spirit. They tend to be people-centered. They tend to intrinsically care for the needs of others in a manner that reflects the heart of Jesus Christ. I think their presence is a blessing to the, to the family. I think it's a blessing to the culture. And I'm certain it's a blessing to the church. And I am genuinely grateful to the Lord for the influence of the godly women who took time to invest in my young life and help shape the man that I eventually became. And I'm grateful for a day like today where we're given the opportunity to intentionally have to think about that. And just kind of acknowledge, nobody lands where they're at without the help of somebody else. Our faith, if your faith is strong, if your faith is growing, if things look good in your life and your walk with the Lord and you desire to put him first, that didn't happen in a vacuum. There are people that planted seeds in your life and invested in your life and modeled things for you that helped fashion that desire. And those are four of the ladies in my life that helped fashion that for me, and I'm super, super grateful for them. And uh, on a day like today, I'm just grateful for any woman who would take the time to make the church, the family, and the culture a more Christ-reflecting place because of her heart as as she's reflecting Christ in the midst of a world that doesn't always get it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for godly women. Thank you so much for the people that you've placed in our lives who have gone out of their way to show us your heart. Lord, we're just so thankful for mothers and grandmothers and aunts and and others that you've placed in our lives that, as we look at them, we can't help but say thank you. As we think about their influence, we can't help but say thank you. They've made such a huge impact on us. And, Lord, here's the thing. None of us is perfect, right? None of us does this right. You know, even as I look at my family and I think about my mother, my grandmothers, my aunt. In no way do I think that that these women were necessarily perfect, but they were perfect for me. And so, Lord, thank you so much for using them to just have such a guiding and compassionate influence on my sisters and me. And, Lord, we just collectively as a church family today thank you for the godly women who have shown us things about you that have strengthened us and have helped us to to grow in our walk with you. Lord, it's just so wonderful. We're just so thankful for for your intentionality and how you have designed humanity to operate and for the flavor that godly women provide to a church and a culture and a family. We're just so grateful for them. Lord, we pray that today would be a day we would be intentional to honor them And as we do so, we pray that we would honor you. Thank you, Lord, for what you've revealed to us in Scripture from the lives and the examples of people like Lois and Eunice and how you used their investment in Timothy to have a foundational impact on the days of the early church and how that legacy impacts us even now, a couple thousand years later. Lord, I don't know that any of us could fully appreciate what you're doing in and through our lives in the moments that these investments are, are being made or, or anything like that, we, we can't see that, that long tail that, that goes into the future. We just trust that we're being obedient with the responsibilities you've given to us in the moment. But Lord, we're just so grateful that you don't waste the investments that get made for your glory in the lives of young people. And again, thank you, Lord, for those who are taking the time to do that right now. Lord, we're just grateful for your presence with us. We're grateful for your love, and we're grateful for those who took the time to explain that to us in our foundational years. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.